0: Hi folks, Steven here. As you may have noticed, this episode contains our discussion of Pokémon Troze, rather than the actual next game, Pokémon XD Gale of Darkness. Simply put, our episodes got edited out of order, and rather than wait, I decided to put this discussion out. Thanks. The following podcast is a member of the Pokécasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com, or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the PokePress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has two segments. In the first, Anne for Pikachu Podcast drops by to discuss the music of Pokémon Trosé for the Nintendo DS. While the soundtrack isn't the most extensive, it's certainly worth talking about, with some interesting stylistic choices. As usual, there's a game discussion after the episode outro. In the second segment, Anne and I return to bat around some ideas about songs related to Pokémon movies, but not actually in them. I propose putting making my way into the doc scene of Pokémon the first movie, and Anne tries to find a place for I Am a Collector in Revelation Lucia. Both ideas have their merits, so listen in and decide for yourself. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from E Podcast, and... This time around, we're doing something a little bit different. We are going to discuss the music of a Pokémon side game, but this is actually going to be a bit of a double-header discussion because we're adding in a secondary segment where Anne and I, we've each picked out a song that is related to a Pokémon movie but not actually in it, and we're going to discuss our ideas for actually putting it into the movie. But in any case, for our side game music discussion, this time we're going to be talking about Pokémon Trozé. Now, some of you may actually know this is Pokémon Link. This is a DS game that was released fairly early-ish, certainly before the first main games were released uh, for Pokémon on the DS. Let's see. It was developed by Genius Sonority, so these are the same folks behind the Colosseum and XD Gale of Darkness games and a few more Pokémon games down the line that we'll probably mention at various points here. Uh, looks like it released in Japan on the 20th of October 2005, so um, within the first year or so there. And then in North America, it came out on March 6, 2006. Australia was April 28, 2006. European Union was May 5th. 2006, and then Korea, for whatever reason, we've seen this before, I think, with Pokemon Dash, they got a very late release in 2007, in May 17th, 2007, which is a bit odd. So first of all, we like to get a little frame of reference here for each of us. And did you play this game back when it came out? Uh, how did that happen?
1: Um, I don't remember that I did it when it came out. I think it was slightly later, because I would have been in college... It's kind of a weird one because I remember I did own it and was kind of into, you know, the the very loose little narrative plot and I kind of enjoyed it a lot because it reminded me of Yoshi's Cookie, which is a a game I have as a special place in my heart, but I must not have owned it for very long. I'm not sure if I sold it or re-gifted it or what I did with it because... Like I have a very weird blip in my mind of having it and then it just disappearing from my life. So I I must – yeah, I'm not quite sure what happened to it. I unfortunately didn't get enough time with it to form a lot of really solid memories. But I remember that I really did like it.
0: Yeah, I I still own my copy, which I'm guessing based on the date I must have gotten around Easter. Maybe I I was in college at the time, so I might have bought it with my own money um, or I got it as an Easter present. And uh, played through it, it it may not be the most substantial game. We'll talk more about the game itself uh, in our bonus segment. But yeah, definitely remember this from back then. And of course, you know, it does have a little bit of a legacy because, of course, there's the sequel on the 3DS, Pokémon Battle Troze, and then another sequel-ish game, Pokémon Shuffle, on the 3DS and mobile. So this, this game does have a bit of a lineage, I guess you could say. Um, I don't remember it being a huge to-do about putting it out there, but it was sort of important.
1: I can remember the commercial for it. Like the little jingle.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's see. Since this is a genius sonority Pokémon game, it probably will not surprise you if you've listened to our previous discussions that Tsukasa Tawada did the music for this. And I, I would definitely say stylistically, it definitely fits in with, despite the DS being relatively different sound hardware from the GameCube or Wii or other systems he's worked on. You can kind of tell it is in the similar vein and stuff like that. Uh, and I assume you have a, a similar opinion on that?
1: Yeah, it's kind of sad that um, the games, I don't know, the needs of the game, the c- capabilities of the game, that we be- don't get more from him. Because we've talked about him before. This was the guy who has the YouTube channel where he just like goes nuts on the piano. Like he's very talented. And I think we were both pretty impressed with stuff we've talked about him composing before. So kind of a shame, but what what is there is good.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the actual music in this game definitely feels like it has sort of a, a blend of a lot of electronic slash technical. I don't want to say techno, but more more technical stuff, uh, combined with some definite jazz elements in there. Anne, is that sort of the, if you had to peg this with a genre, is that what you'd say?
1: <laughs> um, if I could, uh, yeah, I would kind of put it in there. I'm definitely feeling a lot of, of jazz vibes. Again, I'm just kind of a a sense of somebody who composes with a lot of instruments, who can compose in a classical style with a lot of different motifs and things. Like it just everything feels very full and not like just one keyboard and a <laughs> backing baseline.
0: Yeah, and I guess those genres make a certain amount of sense. The the game you, you allude to the story a little bit. It does have sort of a spy motif in there. You're you I forget you're you're with Team Soul, S O L and um you're going against the Phobos battalion or something like that. So, having sort of electronic as well as some jazz elements or maybe some of the more sneaky stuff kind of does make sense. But as those of you who played this will know, the music in this game is uh, not particularly, it's not a particularly huge soundtrack. Let's put it that way. If you look up this soundtrack on YouTube or something, there are complete OST videos that take about eight minutes. Pretty much all the game's music uh, consists of very short loops. And I uh, found that very interesting. I have some theories about that. One of those is that um, the loops used in this game kind of remind me of in the main series games, when you approach a trainer who's about to battle you and you talk to them. Um, they're not a major enough character to have a theme, But based on their trainer class or whatever, they usually have a short little ditty that plays while their text box displays as they're about to challenge you. And did you get that kind of vibe from some of the music in this game?
1: Kind of, yeah. It's it's hard to say just because, again, there's not a ton of it. It's a real little burst of music to really quickly convey whatever the situation is, whether it's we're about to start a battle or a really quick little flitter of music to evoke the mood. It's it's kind of got that kind of a vibe to me. It's just a quick put you in the place and then we're done.
0: Yeah. The main games do that. I think they still do up to this day. Yeah. Where they have like if depending on if you're encountering a hiker or a lass or one of the evil team members or something like that. Um, there'll be a short little D that plays before the battle starts, as they you know either spot you, but while well, their text box is going on. And the reason I wanted to bring that up, besides just being a general observation, is if I recall correctly, with the exception of characters who have actual themes, that's not something that exists in Colosseum or Gale of Darkness. Um, if I remember correctly, what happens there with most of the regular trainers. Either you'll just talk to them straight away if they're not someone who challenges you as soon as they spot you, or if they are someone who spots you and then challenges you, you'll hear a little, I'm not sure how to describe it, it's sort of a a little bit of a beep sound and then like a a little white mark appears above, above their head to say, aha, I see you. And I'm wondering if it's possible that some or maybe a lot of the music that was used in Troze might be left over from the development of Coliseum and XT. And maybe in the in an earlier version they expected to have these types of short tunes when you encounter someone. Ooh. And I am honestly kind of grasping there, but do you have any thoughts?
1: <laughs> That's a really interesting uh possibility. I mean, one of those things that will you, you and I will probably never know for sure. But like that brings up some interesting thoughts about um maybe directions they were trying to go with Coliseum, and maybe the way that, um, as you said, the little ditties play, depending on which trainer you encounter now, like, maybe th- these ideas have evolved from previous games.
0: Yeah, it, it'd be interesting to know, I didn't, you know, try to to contact Tukasa, who is a, a little more uh, in contact with some of the fans than some of, maybe the, some of the other folks, but... It is an interesting hypothesis. I mean, there's, there's certainly other possibilities. It could be that these were like some some ideas that uh, Tsukasa started on, but couldn't generate a, a full, you know, multi-minute tune from, and they decided to use these. It's also entirely possible that you know this sort of blended in with the development of either you know, Gale of Darkness or Pokemon Battle Revolution for the Wii, and um, they maybe originally planned to do something that was uh, had longer tunes and stuff, and this is about what they had time for. I don't know, it is tempting to sort of map some of the songs here. You know, once I started thinking, well, maybe these were trainer introduction tunes before the battle starts. Let's see if I could map these to various things because XD and Gale Darkness have some obviously Western qualities, but there are a lot of high tech places. And, you know, even a few, you know, sillier characters that some of the songs in Troze might work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know, Andy, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Um, yeah. Well, no, I don't have much to add to it, just that I agree.
0: <laughs> yeah, so kind of just throwing <laughs> that out there. If nothing else, it would be interesting to try that, even if they were never intended in that regard. Yeah. All right, well, although we're not doing, like, any full picks um, in terms of, like, we're not each pick- picking out three songs like we normally would just because they are so short, um, I did want to mention, they do try to match some of the tunes with some of the characters. Um, like, there's a, a bit of a weird-slash-creepy one for Mr. Who's Den. There's a lot of a lot of electronic stuff. Um, and did you want to just briefly mention one or two of the tracks there without going too far in since Honestly, not a ton of material.
1: Yeah, a couple that stuck out to me were um, Panic. Like, that was kind of one, just because, I don't know, it just sticks out at you. It kind of gets the anxiety going. (laughs) They've got a lot of fun characters in this, like with Mr. Mr. Who and the Phobos General. So, let's see, Phobos Spear Rising was a fun one.
0: So... Just kind of bringing that into our, our sort of overall opinion, I mean, they did use good instruments, they used good samples. It's just kind of that these are very short loops, and I think that, to be honest, works to the detriment of the game a fair bit. I mean, yeah, the actual stages, with the exception of a few that are really big, uh, the warehouse stages aren't too long, but I still found this to be honestly, pretty repetitive there. And it did sort of get on me. I don't know. Anne, did you have thoughts in that area?
1: I'm, I'm, on the one hand, the type of game that Troze is, you have to focus, it's like Tetris in a way, you have to focus really hard. So, and I'm not sure where things fall for people, whether you want something that's you know, fun and, and motivating, but also a little repetitive, or if you want something a little bit more involved to kind of keep your brain loose, I guess. So on the one hand, I understand working with very short loops, but there's a lot of opportunities in the game to have longer, more involved music, and those were wasted, I think. Whether or not um, the company wanted to devote their resources there is is their own decision, but... I don't feel like everything had to be as short of a track as it was, and it feels like they they compose their music almost entirely based on wanting very short loops for the actual gameplay. Is the impression I get?
0: Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall to find out how this game ended up with the music it did, because you know, if you listen to the successor games, Battle Troze and Pokemon Shuffle, they have. Considerably longer melodies uh, out there. So
1: Yeah, when we talk about Battle Troze.
0: (laughs) Not sure if this was a conscious choice, uh, a sort of circumstance of constraints, or a little bit of both. But yeah, so that's kind of the the music of Pokemon Troze. If you have any thoughts, please do give us a comment either on this video, or you can always email us at pokepress at gmail dot com. As far as I can tell, Happy Together's use in the first Detective Pikachu trailer wasn't because of any super-specific lyrical parallel with the plot of the film. Sure, Tim whips out his phone a few times, and occasionally acts a little crazy, but really it seems that the song was meant to highlight the buddy cop aspect of the movie. And perhaps to suggest that Tim and Detective Pikachu might have wound up with each other for a reason. Musically, the song's melancholic verses and incredibly bright chorus parallel the film's darker, but not too dark tone, and to a certain extent the personalities of the main characters, with Tim being more low-key and Detective Pikachu more energetic. With all that said, however, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this isn't the first time the song has come into Pokémon's orbit. Fans of the original N64 Smash Brothers will remember that ads for that game also use this tune, adding another level of nostalgia to the mix. Anyway, do you have your own thoughts on any of this? Feel free to let us know. Thanks. Okay, so for our second, I guess you could say, segment here, since Troze didn't take up as much time as as some other games might have, I decided it would be fun to do sort of... Usually in between generations we do these breaks where we come up with a fun topic to discuss, like, you know, disputed Pokémon songs. Or pick a band that never did a Pokemon song and pick three of their songs that might work as Pokemon songs and stuff like that. I figured since we had some extra time uh, with this game that we could have a mini topic to go in here. So what I came up with was add a song to a Pokemon movie. Now I did set some ground rules for this. It had to be a song that was at least in some way associated with the movie. So we're not taking some random song that it, whether it did or did not exist at the time and trying to put it in there, although there may be a little bit of an exception later we'll talk about. But this could is usually going to be something that was on the soundtrack to that movie or somehow associated with it. I suppose if we do this again, I might pick something like, can we put uh, Holding Out for a Hero into Detective Pikachu for real instead of just in one of the trailers? Uh, we might also revisit this topic again later. If we ever find out that there were certain songs that were considered for the movies, but uh, either fell through or re- rejected for one reason or another. In any event, both Anne and I have picked out a song, and uh, I picked out Making My Way Any Way That I Can, which of course is from the soundtrack to Pokémon the first movie, but I sort of wanted to try out inserting it into the doc scene of Pokémon the first movie. And what was your pick?
1: I uh, picked Orewa Collector. I am a collector uh, from the Revelation Lugia, Pokemon 2000 soundtrack, the Japanese version. And I was planning to insert it into the scene where the kids are all captured in his evil floating lair. And he's explaining his, his plan and his history and sitting at his chessboard and figuring out how to catch legendary birds.
0: Yeah, so... This will actually be pretty fun when we get to talk about some various concepts and involving music and stuff like that. We'll start with my choice, which was to attempt to put Making My Way Any Way That I Can into the doc scene of Mewtwo Strikes Back, Pokemon the first movie. So, um I did make a mock-up of this, but for copyright reasons I can't really share it either live on video here um, or through the audio stream. Uh, if you do track me down at a convention or something like that, I'll try to make sure I get added to like my, my cell phone or something like that so I can show it to you. But just to sort of set the scene, so this is the part where uh, our heroes, Ash, Misty, and Brock, are headed over to the dock to catch the ferry to New Island. And then we cut to the inside Of there, and uh, this is where you have the uh, chill out, Raticate Kingler, save your energy, and all that stuff. So we get to see some of the trainers who are already there, and we pan across the area there. And then Ash and company come in there, and they're sopping wet. And like Pikachu actually shakes the water off of him, uh, off of himself. So it's that part. There is a second part to that scene, of course, which is where. Uh, The characters are told, oh, there's not going to be a ferry. It's been canceled because of the weather. That is not the part I'm concerned about. It's just this first portion here where we get to see sort of the establishing interior of the the harbor building or whatever it's called. So if you don't recall the song itself, Making My Way Any Way That I Can was written by Diane Warren, legendary songwriter, still active today. It was performed by Billy Piper, who I'm guessing some folks out there will better know as an actress. Um, She has a variety of roles, including uh, Rose Tyler in Doctor Who. The song itself has a triumph over adversity theme, and it actually has a fairly long arrangement history. This is not the first version of this song to be published. It was not actually written for the movie, but it does work very well. Um, If you want to know more about the whole history there, I would suggest uh, taking a look at our Disputed Pokemon Songs episode that I published, I think, back in November. We recorded it last summer, and I put the episode out in November of last year. If you want to listen to this, uh, officially anyway, um, you can either pick up a copy of the Pokemon the First Movie soundtrack or a copy of Billy Piper's uh, Walk of Life album, but it has to be the Japanese version. And do you have any sort of first impressions like if someone had just suggested this to you what was your sort of first thoughts be
1: Well um definitely I see the potential like um it's kind of a place where the trainers are all brimming with um like excitement and what's gonna happen, and we're we're about to face a challenge. They've all gotten this invitation to go face the greatest Pokemon Master on New Island, and there's a there's high waves and adversity that they must now triumph over. Like I see that concept. Like I was a little uh, surprised by like where you decided to end it because I feel like this song could have propelled it into. So I, I'm interested to hear you talk about your reasoning why there.
0: Yeah. So. The way I implemented this in the video I made up is I, I made this what's called source or diegetic music. And what that means in music terminology is that the music itself actually exists within the world of the movie or the TV show or whatever. So, for example, something that would not be diegetic music would be something like—in uh, the first movie would be like the opening theme song or Brother, My Brother— Those are songs that we as the audience can hear, but that the characters in there cannot hear, presumably. Likewise, with the actual score of the movie, it's not something they hear. Instead, what I'm doing here is my intention was and not to insult this song at all. It's a good song, but I thought it would work as if it were being played over the PA system at the the dock. Uh, sort of as music or something like that. Like I said, not an insult against the song. I really do like it. We talk about it a lot, um, and that's for a good reason. So, in order to make that work in the sort of video that I mocked up, um, I had to sort of mix it down to mono. I took out some of the low and the high end. Um, And I also tried to get it to an appropriate volume and stuff like that. Uh, So much so that Anne, the first time she viewed the the video I I sent her, um, actually kind of missed the song in there. Because it's not supposed to overpower the dialogue or stuff like that. So, like I said, those are some of the constraints. If you want to learn more about this type of dynamic and stuff, one podcast I recommend, by the way, is called The Soundtrack Show. Uh, It's put out by iHeartMedia. And they talk about this in regards to uh, a wide variety of movies they cover. They were about to actually do another part of their Ocarina of Time series. They cover movies, video games, stuff like that. But uh definitely recommend that one if you want to learn more about some of the mechanical aspects of how score is used in movies and games and stuff like that. All right. Well, having kind of said all of that, there's actually one little uh, other wrinkle in all of this is actually... I suppose one reason I was okay using this over the PA system there is there's actually a PA announcement in this scene where the um whoever's like coming over that says Officer Jenny to the uh the, the doors or whatever it is. And um, you know, if this were a real PA system, the song would actually have like totally cut out there and then come back once the announcement's finished. But to make it a little more graceful, I did try to just drop it a few decibels. All right. Ann, Aeon, I've been talking long enough. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on what I put together? We'll go into more details, but uh, what do you kind of think?
1: Well, that's a really cool idea. Like, yeah, as you say, the first time I heard it, I actually didn't even hear the music the first time, and when I finally turned it up, I was like, wow, it sounds like it's coming over the intercom. I wasn't quite sure what you were doing, but like hearing you explain it, like that's a really interesting choice to kind of make it grounded in the world of the movie. And... Yeah, like I'm starting to really kind of grow into it. And, you know, it feels like a song that they would play in a in a Pokemon Center type (laughs) situation over to and like something that the trainers would want to hear is songs that kind of pep you up a little and make you feel like you can do anything um, as you're traveling on your journey. So I'm I'm starting to really come around on this idea. This this could have worked in the movie, I think.
0: Yeah. One of the main reasons I just uh, left it in that first part of the scene there is that once you get into the second part there, things get a little more serious, and also there's some score elements. This first scene, part of this scene here has basically no music in it. There's no score. Not to say that there's no evidence I should make clear that I've found that says they wanted to put this song in there or any song in there for that point, for that matter. Um, but I figured it was it was worth a try. So just to be clear about that. Now, I did actually do a couple different variations to try and put it in there. Um, one of them, I started at the chorus where it goes, you know, if the river's too wide, I'll get through it. If the mountain's too high. And it gets into a little bit of the second verse. And then I did a, a second version where it starts right on, on the second verse. You know, so many times I played in someone else's game. This time the game has changed. Say I'll make the rules, what we don't always fool, so on and so forth there. And I was, in a way, kind of going for two different things. Uh, and I, I guess I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but I wanted to see, did you sort of catch the difference there, and do you have any thoughts?
1: I agree. Um, yeah, the first uh, version you did, um, I kind of felt like the the rhythm of the song never seemed to overpower and the lyrics as well. And just the general tempo and vibe the song gave off um, in the first cut you did never seemed to overpower the scene that was taking place. Uh, the second version kind of stole a little spotlight in a way it, it Just, just the nature of where you start and the energy that it's bringing in, it kind of made you pay attention to it a little bit. And I don't think either one is necessarily good or bad because there are a lot of times in movies where they chose a particular song for a particular scene for a particular reason and they want it to take center stage. They want it to be a character. Brother, my brother is probably a good example. That move, that using that song there they were never intending it to be in the background. Like that song is playing because they want you to hear the lyrics for Brother, My Brother and (laughs) extrapolate meaning. So I kind of, like for me, I think in this scene, the first cut you used just seemed to mesh better with what was happening. But there is definitely a case that, you know, the second cut you did having a little bit more of a a push and energy in the second verse and the lyrics just hitting you in a way that made you focus on them a little more than the dialogue, which is not terribly arresting at that exact moment in the scene, could also have some merit.
0: Well, I guess, um, I I don't know, I don't feel too bad about putting you on the spot there to try to guess my intentions, but (laughs) I I may as well tell you what they were now. So the first one was supposed to be a little more, more cheery where we start on the chorus and it's supposed to speak more for the trainers, Mm -hmm. Now, choosing to go with the second verse is actually, it's still a very cheery song. It's not a down song, but it's supposed to give it a little more subtext, almost as if the song is kind of from Mewtwo's perspective because um, it's like, it's, it's sort of recounting its 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 history. You know, so many times I played in someone else's game. You know, I used to be just a, a thing for other people to tell what to do. You know, this time the game has changed. It's kind of supposed to represent now the the trainers are, you know, um in a, in a, the roles are, are kind of reversed from where they are normally in Pokemon. And I thought that gave it not necessarily a super ominous. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect folks to pay too much attention to that uh, until they rewatched watched it. Um, because like I said, the music is, in the way I edited it is not supposed to overpower the scene itself and the dialogue that's happening on there. But that was sort of the, the logic behind those two choices.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's really cool. And It's a very interesting juxtaposition because, you know, the characters in the scene, like, they all think this is their moment. Like, this is my moment where I'm going to change the game and make it to the top. And really, as you say, it's kind of also giving a little bit of foreshadowing and um, insight into Mewtwo's character where, no, like, I'm really going to flip the tables. Like, it just, yeah, it brings a lot of subtext, as you say, to this scene and a lot of nuance uh to a, a story that while it looks simple on the surface, like there's a lot of very complicated emotions going on in this plot.
0: Yeah. It's not supposed to like totally change that into a really haunting scene or anything like that. It's still a kid's movie and it's not supposed to make it really scary or anything. It's just really I, I sort of intended it as something that fits the scene and might be something you know, they would maybe notice the song when they originally watched it, but they would pay more attention if they re-watched the movie and they would get a little more from it. It's one of those value-added type of things.
1: Yeah, just gives it a little flavor.
0: Admittedly, Don't Say You Love Me doesn't have much relation to the plot of Pokemon the first movie. At best, you could relate it to Brock, but perhaps that's better left unexplored. Anyway, this debut single from M2M was likely intended to serve as more of a bridge that would raise awareness about the band for the movie audience and the movie for the music audience. If nothing else, it probably generated buzz for the movie in M2M's native Norway. As for the song itself, the assertive tone does wind up being a good fit for the franchise, representing the stand-up-for-yourself theme of the series without sounding excessively angry. This tone carries into the music video, whose Drive and Fear setting gives it a more casual feel, and of course provides a convenient opportunity to work in scenes from the movie. Speaking of the movie, have you ever noticed that the names of the two featured Pokemon line up neatly with the name of the band? Nice bonus, I suppose, but it's obviously not the only reason they were selected. Anyway, do you have any thoughts about this song? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. All right, well, I guess with that out of the way, we may as well go on to your pick. So your pick, Anne, was I Am a Collector. This is from the Japanese album that goes along with the second Pokemon movie, Revelation Lugia. Um, and it's a character song for, well, the Japanese name is like Gelardian or something like that. And in the U.S. version, he's not named on screen, but officially his name is Lawrence the Third. It looks like this is performed by the guy who did that character's voice in the Japanese version. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the song itself, since it's not as well known as some other things.
1: Right. Uh, So this is um, an image song, which uh, is a lot more common in Japanese uh, anime CDs than it is kind of for a lot of English soundtracks. But the idea is like usually every main character in a popular anime will get an image song which is kind of sung from that character's perspective usually by uh, the voice actor in question and his is kind of explaining a little bit about like his mindset and he wants to collect things and you know other living creatures other things like they kind of just exist to help him move ahead like it's not necessarily in a, like, I'm cold and callous and, you know, the world is my playground, but like the idea of like, I'm not anyone's king, but I'm also not their soldier. Like, I'm forging my own path. Like, I'm gonna pick up all the beautiful things in this world, all the broken things, and I'm gonna put it together and make it pretty again. I'm gonna rearrange things like composing a musical scale. Like, like his idea, like, he, he alone can put the world back and make it pretty so everybody just get out of his way and let him collect um, all the stuff and keep them for himself because other people are not smart enough to keep the... Like, that kind of attitude. And that's... Like, that's his song. It's just it's sung from his point of view and it just tells you his worldview.
0: That's interesting. Uh, Can you describe the song stylistically? I did re-listen to (laughs) it for this discussion, but why don't you go ahead and do that?
1: Uh, Okay, so this is... I don't know, like it kind of strikes me as not um not an opera but like an operetta. Like it sounds like the number where like they have a quick scene of dialogue and then everything stops and it's very um big voiced and like you know this like it's just a very it's sung in a very dramatic way. Um it, it's not a ton I feel going on musically. It's kind of Like I said, that's kind of why I feel like um, it kind of feels like it should be in part of a play of some kind. Um, Because it exists to tell you a thing, but the music itself feels like it's only kind of there to support the the dialogue that's going on.
0: Yeah, one of the comparisons I made in my notes was Phantom of the Opera, by which I specifically (gasps) mean... I'm not an expert on it, but like the Andrew Lloyd Webber Phantom of the Opera from like the late '80s or early '90s or whatever it was, it it kind of gives me that type of musical vibe. It's got like it's it's kind of a menacing type of track, a little bit, but not in the most serious way. Like it's not designed to really scare people so much. You know, stylistically, I honestly think it's kind of a, a fair bit over the top, and I can kind of see, I, I don't know if the dub made any effort to try and get this, although part of me would love to have this uh, sung by their first choice for the voice of Lawrence III. They try to get, Hi folks, Stephen again. While well, I found several places that mention what I'm about to say here, I couldn't find an actual primary source. If you know of one, please send it our way. Thanks patrick stewart for that one.
1: Oh, really now
0: heck yeah. well i don't know that i would prefer him as the in thing voice i'm sure he would have done a fine job and he probably if he could trade it for his role in the emoji movie he would come out ahead but um <laughs> um maybe i'm just used to the guy they actually got for the second movie but um
1: i mean he is good too i'm not gonna lie yeah but,
0: but um I don't know. That was a little bit of a jumble of thoughts, I suppose. There, it's it's very theatrical, and <laughs> hmm. more so than even a lot of the stuff on the like the English uh, pop album soundtrack. So I guess that covers it more or less stylistically. Where would this actually be used in your mind? You didn't make a mock-up video like I did. No. But uh, where do you think this would be used? Would 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 the guy actually sing it in the movie or?
1: Okay. So I have two pitches. One is the tame version um, that the producers will like. uh, And that's where like um, it's kind of playing as instrumental music mostly. Maybe occasionally um, if there's a moment of no dialogue where he's just walking, maybe a little bit of the chorus kind of lyrically comes in. But mostly it's just instrumental as he's kind of coming down and from his little elevator thing and you're seeing these dramatic shots of the ceiling and he's talking to the kids of, I am merely a collector. Um, you know, doing all of his evil villain. I'm monologuing and explaining my plan and dramatically looking out of windows and trying to catch the birds. That is a place where I think it could work really well. But my other thought, um, my slightly more radical thought was that Team Rocket basically gets a whole song and dance every time they show up. What, you know, it's really not that out of the realm of a Pokemon movie for a character to just break into a routine. So I, you know, like we'd have to reanimate some things probably, but I would love to have him coming down from his stand with the angels on the ceiling and he just belts out in his grand. Theatrical way that he is a collector, and I apologize earlier, I I think I've been reading this title wrong. I think it's Wadewa Collector, but it means the same thing. Either way, he just burst into song and like just have a villain moment, and I think it would work perfectly for this movie.
0: Well, to be honest, I have a little more down on that second <laughs> suggestion, just because...
1: That's fine. Going back to Mewtwo Strikes <laughs> Back Evolution,
0: pages. I was not the greatest fan of the song and performance that the not the D-Viking Team Rocket had in that one. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say it was the awfulest thing, but it, it felt like it made it so that it was no better than a lateral move at best. But So I'm not sure how this one would work. I, I will say the Pokemon 2000, Revelation Lugia does kind of blur the line between what we talked about earlier, which is, you know, diegetic and source music versus music that only the audience can hear. Because you've got, like, in the short, you've got the Dance of the blossom part in there where, obviously, the Pokemon voices are in-universe, not so sure about the background music. And then, of course, you have the flute playing, which, you know, when Melody plays her flute, It's it's obviously in universe, but not so much probably the orchestral accompaniment that comes at the climax of the movie. So I don't know about this, about that second idea. I mean, (laughs) if we go back, I know in the dub that the collector does have an orchestral theme that goes in there, nowhere near as recognizable as Lugia's or the dee 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 dee, which I think is part of which I think is the the chosen one or Ash's theme in that movie. Um, but there's definitely a motif that when he appears does come in there every now and again, and I think the Japanese one has that too. I don't know it's a it's an interesting idea. I will absolutely give it that uh anything else you want to uh stake to your cause or whatever. <laughs>
1: um just that you know every pitch meeting every ideas meeting needs at least one person who's going to come in there and say something crazy so that we can find the happy baseline and i'm happy to be the one who comes in and says our villain is going to sing and dance and <laughs> and therefore find a lovely track on our soundtrack <laughs> where he gets to have his moment <laughs>
0: Well, you know, one other comparison I wanted to draw in all this, sorry this doesn't follow so well from what you just said there, but uh, going back to the <laughs> lyrics it. of the song, well, I do think the song itself is is kind of, even for, even for a children's movie, I think that song is kind of over the top, given where Pokemon usually goes with these types of things. However, the lyrics you mentioned there, to be honest, uh, at the time, well, the guy was alive, but... um Definitely nowhere near as famous as he is now. Lawrence the Third kind of reminds me of like a, a social media company CEO, and the way he sort of brushes off certain consequences, the actions of others, stuff like that. Like I didn't freeze the, the 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 ocean over. That was Articuno. He doesn't say that, of course, but you can kind of get the get the vibe there. He kind of reminds me of Mark Zuckerberg, to be honest. <laughs> and like when he's testified in front of Congress. Um, I guess it's Pokemon 2000, so we have to get political, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's, like, like if they ever remake this, I would tell the person to mostly stick to what the, the 2000 dub did, but maybe you can work in a little bit of, like, you know, Dorsey or Zuckerberg or Bezos or something like that um, into the performance there. And some of the lyrics in the song you mentioned about that do sort of fit in there. So... Maybe not the song itself, but I think there's some elements it gets right about the character, or at least my perception mm-hmm. of it, strangely enough, from, from watching the dub.
1: Yeah, no, they've definitely, for a, a character that, you know, his name never gets set on screen, and we don't really see much of him further on in subsequent movies, like, you know, he's a very understated character, but there's a lot of subtlety and nuance and stuff that is very relatable today and like i don't want to get all man haiti on this podcast but like his his attitude is something that i encounter in a villainous way in my world now and you know luckily you know i don't got legendary birds freezing up my world but i think you're right in like um were they to remake this movie it's definitely worth considering to try to lean into some of this a little bit to look at this again and see if there's a way to just bring it out a little more in some way, because I think a lot of people can relate to having to deal with a person in power with such a mindset.
0: Yeah, so we'll, we'll see if they ever do remake the second movie. And to be honest, I think what you described there would actually be learning a lesson from the remake of the first movie, which I don't think did a great job of tying into uh, sort of the environment and the world that was being released in. it. But that's a discussion. You you can look back at another bunch of our stuff from last year on. All right. Well, if you have any other ideas of songs that are at least have some relation to a Pokemon movie that you'd like to have actually be in the movie and not just on a soundtrack or in a commercial or a trailer or something, feel free to let us know. And uh, I guess speaking of that, we have some feedback to go over. So a couple weeks ago, I did an unboxing of a CD from Mexico that was a little bit unusual. So so this is a promotional CD that was released through a pizza chain that's in Europe and Latin America called Telepizza. And uh, it's it's basically kind of what you expect. It's a Spanish Pokémon CD, and it's got just a couple tracks on it. Um, I did an unboxing, like I said, Uh, We have a comment from ddd033 um, talking about uh, Atropolos Ya, which I guess is the Latin American Spanish, more on that later, version of Gotta Catch Them All. Said I did a good job with the English translations, which I I will take that. Uh, I've never formally studied Spanish, so I don't claim to be all that great at it. Um, And then they have another comment on the same video that goes into a little more detail. This is from... Nelsitop Nine X, and he points out that in 2017 they started using the uh, Spain uh, slogan, which is "Hace con todos." Hopefully, I said that kind of close to right, rather than the Latin American. They sort of merged them together, um, which which he points out. You know, it's not really they're they're rather different dialects. It's it's probably even more different it sounds like than the difference between like American and British English or Australian English or Canadian English like it's even more different than that and they just wouldn't use that word in Latin America they might know what it means but it's not the quite the word they would use um, and he also has some more details on uh, Telepizza itself it's also apparently related to a chicken restaurant Polo Campero so if you have ever visit Latin America those are some places for you to check out but Anne, I wanted to sort of run this by you. You've talked in the past about how there used to be a separate Canadian French dub, yeah, uh, because not unlike like British and American English or Latin American and and Spain Spanish, there are some differences between Canadian French and French or France French. Um, any any thoughts on this whole thing here?
1: Um, like I don't think. Uh I mean, don't quote me on this. I don't think, like, that particular catchphrase changes. Um, But it's, yeah, extremely true that French-Canadian-English and French, sorry, French-Canadian-French and French-French are very different things um, to the point that uh, school was, uh, it was kind of a contentious subject, whether they taught us uh, French-French or Canadian-French growing up in school. I definitely know my bilingual friends um, who went to the, French only side of my school had a lot of opinions about that um and and definitely noticed when they you know left wh- when they left uh the Montreal Quebec French and you know traveled to actual France and had a, noticed a lot of differences um from the accent to actual word uses is, um but right now I also work in a Mexican restaurant and we have a lot of people from various countries in Latin America and my Boss has told me, like, you know, the Peruvian Spanish is very different from Chilean Spanish. And I, I assume that is the same for it looks like a uh, net, uh, what our listener here is from El Salvador. I sh- assume it's the same there, where like the language can differ widely. I can only imagine how different it is across the ocean in Spain. So, um, yeah, no, that's a thing. And, and it's fascinating. It's kind of cool uh, language usage.
0: By the way, I I'm sure I've seen it somewhere since I have a bunch of international versions of 2 a Master. What is the French equivalent of Gotta Catch 'Em All?
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, let me uh let me Google cuz it's been a long time since I've watched it. I think it's Attrapelet um Attrapelet or or maybe just Attrape too, but les 2 would be I think more correct.
0: Yeah, I, I- and since, you know, got to catch them all, is not exactly grammatically correct either. So, <laughs> you know, I, I will certainly cut uh, the French some slack on that one. But, yeah, so that's kind of what's there. Just a reminder, if you have comments on this or anything else we've talked about, uh, you can always drop us a line, either a comment on this video, or you can drop us an email at pokepress at gmail.com. All right, so we go in North American release order. Yeah, we're going back to Troze because the game that came out in North America after Troze is Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, Red Rescue Team, and Blue Rescue Team. I think I can hear some of the folks at home doing a fist pump.
1: Yeah, yeah. Come come and come and celebrate. You've been waiting for this. <laughs> With all
0: due respect to all the other side game music that we're gonna discuss and have discussed, there's some great stuff out there, but if I had to pick one sub series or spin off series that has the most attention paid to its music, it's the Mystery Dungeon series. <laughs> So I have wanted to get to this for a while, and we're finally up to it. Now, just to clarify, there were two versions of this game. Red Rescue Team was a Game Boy Advance title. Blue Rescue Team was on the Nintendo DS. The two games actually can link up to each other and exchange some data and stuff like that. But uh, story-wise and stuff like that, they are the same game kind of the other interesting thing about this this is the only to my knowledge pokemon side game that has a remake last year in 2020 they released uh pokemon mystery dungeon dx i think it was called i forget exactly but it was a dx game it was a remake of of these two games sort of put together with uh, you know on the switch with 3d graphics and redone music and stuff like that, so we'll probably lump that into this one rather than doing a separate episode on that in a year or two, or when we get around to it. But that is our next topic. It's one I've been waiting for for a while, and we're finally going to get to it. And I, I don't know how much experience you have with the mystery Dungeon series, but you sound fairly excited yourself. Ooh.
1: I, I am very excited. I. I do like this game a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, this sub-series is well-liked, and uh, definitely for some reasons, and we'll talk about that. Until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at PokePress on Twitter. All right, well, circling back around to the first part of this discussion, we're going to talk about Pokemon Troze the Game. So, first part I want to talk about is the sort of puzzle mechanics, and you had done a little bit of a comparison to Yoshi's Cookie. Now, that may not be a super familiar one to some folks, uh, but Yoshi's Cookie is a a puzzle game from the, I think it was on the Game Boy, NES, and Super Nintendo, believe it or not, where your goal is to line up uh, light-shaped cookies to clear them. And the way things work is they sort of loop around horizontally and vertically. It's sort of like if a Rubik's cube was a square instead of a cube, that's kind of what you get with that game. And I can sort of see that there horizontally things do sort of loop around like that. But, uh, and sounds like you had some other things you wanted to say about the mechanics. Uh, why don't you go ahead there?
1: Um, I, I'm not quite sure what to say exactly. It's, um, like it's deceptively simple. Cause again, it's very, much like Tetris or Yoshi's Cookie, where you're kind of just trying to rearrange them to make matches and thus kind of clear your area. Um, And it, you know, gets progressively harder. And it's, like, I do like those kinds of games. Like, they're just very fun, simple little brain teasers. I do think they didn't take advantage of it being a Pokemon game as much as they could have. Like, obviously, you're matching up little Pokemon icons, um, which is... Cool, But, um, you know, Pokemon being very much a game of type and strategies and things like that, um, it it started to feel a lot more like a matching game. But it was very simple to play. Like, so maybe that's – maybe my criticism has no validation. Maybe adding, like, type disadvantages and things like that would have made it too complicated.
0: Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because actually Pokemon Battle Chose, which I played a little bit for this just to compare it – And definitely Pokemon Shuffle do have type mechanics in there where where you'll either get super effective or not very effective depending on what Pokemon you start the clear with and stuff like that. Um, In fact, I found that the Battle Troze game was actually mechanically, I mean, it's still a tile-based game where things sort of fall in place. But they definitely made some tweaks in that to make it a fair bit different. Um, than the original Troze, which seems very basic by comparison.
1: Feels like it should have been the obvious choice, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, we will eventually get to that game and do a separate discussion. It doesn't have a ton of music either, but at least it does have some full tunes in there. But yeah, this original one focuses, like I said, it's it's not... It, things sort of wrap around and stuff, which is not the case in the later games... Um, I did kind of want to talk a little bit about the scoring system in, in Troze, this original Troze as well, because what happens is you get a certain number of points for clearing Pokémon, but pretty much every stage has a set number you have to clear to finish it, which kind of limits your score there. The way you really make points in this game is either... Um, during a, a, a clearing session, because you remember, you you make four in a row, and then after that, if you have three in a row, those clear, then if you have two in a row, those clear. Your kind of goal there is, if you can get it to where there are no tiles left in play at the end of that, you get a bonus. And you also get a bonus at the end of the round, if you based on how many tiles are left in the play field. If there are none, you get like 20,000 points. So it's kind of a a bit odd there because the actual clearing activity doesn't really net you all that many points, which is actually kind of a little bit important because, like, getting a a certain score on a certain level will earn you a credit you can use at Mr. Who's Den. I don't know. Anne, do you have any thoughts on the scoring system of this, the original Troze? I
1: I admit it's a little bit odd. Um, I mean, on the one hand, it's nice to just focus on—I mean, not like the the plot is so incredibly— Uh, hard or involved, but like, you know, I just clear this and move on to the next thing. But, you know, really, you want to get the high points. So you'd think that the basic mechanics of what you're doing, like, that would net you a little more. So I I can see why it's not necessarily the focus. But again, it's just, it's a little odd. Like, it's it's a fun game, but there's a lot of stuff that I'm not sure. Like that could be tweaked, and it sounds like it was tweaked for Battle Troze. So,
0: yeah, a lot of changes there. It sort of ditches the uh, wraparound structure. You're just basically swapping tiles from one space to another. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. They do still fall down, but you know, sort of the the big thing there is all the points you earn basically equate to damage done to one or more Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So it sort of ties in better there, I think. Um, and because of the way the game is structured, like at least the uh, Battle Troze, the score aspect is more based on your clears and how many you can get in a row and stuff like that. And you're not limited by the number that are in the play field currently necessarily because of the way that game is structured. We'll go in more into that in a year or two when we finally get to, to the, <laughs> the second entry in there.
1: Yeah. It's hard not to compare them a little now, but yeah, you're right. <laughs>
0: But um, I want to talk a little bit about the the progression of the game. Now, it it doesn't have the battling aspect so much, but it does have the collecting aspect. One thing you're you're tasked with doing is to make a a clear of as many different Pokémon you can throughout the course of the game. Each stage will have a certain set of Pokémon. But again, there's a bit of a structural issue here. There's a bunch of relatively common Pokémon that show up pretty much uh, whenever you play that stage. And then there's like three special Pokémon that I've never really figured out. I'm sure there's some logic to it. and may be partially random that are very rare and hard to catch. Um, and usually you have to combine them with a Ditto, which, uh, appropriately enough, acts as a wild card in this game. And as a result, what I kind of found is I lost a lot of interest once I completed the main game. Like when I was going back to it now, I didn't have a ton of interest in the game just because the remaining Pokemon I needed to collect were so rare. It just didn't seem to be worth my time to just hope they showed up. I don't know. And I don't know exactly how far you got in the game and stuff like that. Did you have any, any thoughts of that nature?
1: I, I kind of definitely share the frustration of like, if you're trying to complete the Pokedex, it's rough. Like this was a game where the last couple you'd be here for a while. Cause they're so rare. And you kind of start to lose a little patience with the game itself. Cause it, it, can be a little repetitive that way my thing was always like because i believe the conceit is that you're trying to match pokemon so that you can save them from the bad guys so i always got to the end and there would be like one or two left that weren't matched And i always be oh my gosh did i not save the pokemon so that always struck me as a little bit weird um but As I said, I didn't own this game for super, super long, so I never had a shot of completing my Pokédex, but like, yeah, it was so hard to get the rare ones. And if you were a a completist, you'd be playing this game for a long time, trying to get the right ones to show up so that you could match them.
0: Yeah, so that was another, I guess, downer that I had in in that one. But uh, despite some of the negative things we've said in this post-discussion segment, um just a day or two ago I was over at the local used video game store and uh given the current conditions with the uh, uh a lot of, lot more shut-ins and stuff like that retro game prices in general have been skyrocketing up as have um Pokemon games in particular probably be part because of the 25th anniversary but I did look through there and it turns out that uh dash And Troze were priced at the same level, and as many criticisms as I have of Troze, and to be honest, I still, I'd recommend you get either the 3DS Battle Troze or Pokémon Shuffle, even though they're mechanically somewhat different. This game is still, I would say, a lot more fun than Dash. I, I think that's your opinion too, Anne.
1: Yes. No. I I did like this game a lot. Like I said, there's some definitely some. Criticisms and some tweaks that could be made to this original Troze, but like the general concept is fun. Like it's just a fun puzzle game.
0: Yeah, and I think there are some things. There, there are still some rough edges on the later games, but there are definitely also some uh, some real improvements there. But uh, not a horrible game by any chance. But it definitely has sort of a ceiling on uh, how much interest I have in it. <laughs> Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, I'd like I'd like to get it again, but I. My memories of it and kind of what you've been confirming here is, like, I don't know that I would necessarily keep it and play it forever. So, I don't know. If there was, like, a cheap rent-it for a weekend or something, I think that might be where my peak enjoyment of it would be.
0: (laughs) The last one, the joke version, is where I took another Diane Warren song, Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli, and spliced it in... (laughs) This is going on really the outtakes. I can tell. Yeah. So I, okay. I that that was one I did as a that was the joke one I did um, because okay. a it, it, apologies to dying warrants. So Blame on the rain is also a good song, but uh, first of all, that song would probably have been too on the nose for that scene, and B, it's already spoken for by another Nintendo video game franchise's cartoon. Um, so, do you want to rephrase your answer between the two versions of making my way?
1: I will rephrase. However, I would also like to point out that now I think "Blame It on the Rain" is probably the best choice. Uh, um.
0: <laughs> well, okay. if they, but I go- suppose they could have gotten away with it in the uh, in the Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution remake, <laughs> but because uh, it would have been old enough, it wouldn't have been like it, in ninety nine. It would have been old enough that it was uh it was like dated then now it's sort of come <laughs> back around now, um, now it's retro. <laughs> yeah.